I just didn't understand why connecting the best freelancers to great companies couldn't be frictionless. That's Shib Matthew, founder of the elite freelancer platform, You Know Juno. They've built a reputation of disrupting traditional recruitment and bridging the gap between hirer and freelancer. Since day one, our goal at Unojuno has been to address every frustration we had as either freelancers or hirers. From direct and transparent communication, to taking the stress out of getting paid on time, to being properly recognised for great work. Today, Unojuno is now the world's largest marketplace of premium creative and tech talent. Last year we reached half a billion pounds in freelancer bookings, and we still feel like we're just beginning. If you would like to know more about Unojuno, their views on the future of work being freelance and what they can do for you, head on over to unojuno.com. Welcome to another episode of Where Did It All Go Right? I'm Ali Jones, and in each episode, we speak to a guest about the pivotal moments in their career. We hope to inspire you wherever you are and whatever you're up to and give you some great stories too. This week's guest is Olympic winning and stacks of other titles to her name, rower Helen Glover. Helen's first Olympics were London 2012, and she came back to row in the Summer Olympics in Tokyo in 2021 after having three children. She's also got a new book out that she's written with her husband, Steve Backshall, Wildlings, How to Raise Your Family in Nature, which is out this month. Thank you so much for talking to me today, Helen. And I just saw on your Twitter feed, because you've been been on holiday, you know, typical, you know, not lying on a beach, climbing uh, <laughs> rocks with like sheer drops down to the ocean. So you're not, that kind of shows to me that you're, you're up for a challenge even on holiday. I mean, I, I like the idea of going and lying down and lying in the sun, but after five minutes, I'm going, oh, can I swim to that rock? Can I run up that hill? Uh, and Steve's, my husband's exactly the same. Um, so it works quite well. We kind of get those little mini adventures in, I guess, when we can. That sort of sums you up, I guess, because when I've been looking at all your wins for rowing, Olympic champion, world, European, I mean, it's just pages and pages of of medals, but it's, it's about drive and determination. But I guess... Being in a rowing boat, you've, it's partnerships, isn't it? Working with Polly Swan and Heather Stanning, you've got to get on with people, haven't you? Yeah, massively. And then, and that kind of bubble grows and grows. You've got your your coaches, you've got the all the all the sort of, sort of the people that help you get to that start line. You've got physios, team doctors, nutritionists, psychologists. You know, and the more you can kind of really form relationships that are really meaningful with these people, the more you're going to get to that start line as the best version of yourself. And I always found that gave me that bit more pressure because you, I just wanted to do so well for, for those people who got me there. Like it wasn't, it ended up being so much more about the other people than about just me. Yeah. It's sort of like, it's a complete team effort and you don't want to let anyone down, I guess. Yeah, massively. And I mean, for, for, for an athlete, the the pinnacle, the peak of their career could be going to an Olympic games, but for a physio, the peak of you know Liz, my physio, her career was I want to take an athlete to the Olympic Games and help them win gold. That was the goal for my coach. That was the goal for my psychologist. So suddenly you've got other people's dreams on your shoulders as well. I love kind of being part of that motivated team, but it is it, it can be stressful when you're in, in that environment. Yeah, a, a lot of pressure. But you've got to have that drive yourself as well. And I wonder where that, that came from, because I know, um, well, all rowers, my son has just started rowing at school and 
it's early starts there's 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 all that um it's antisocial but you know you've got to have that drive and determination and and that judging by your family who are very sporty and your parents as well did it come from them or did it come from school where or is it was it always there that drive it's really interesting I think I can look back and reflect lots of different things and and see it lots of different ways to be honest um I think there was intrinsically something there I'm, I'm one of five siblings and we we have the whole spectrum of competitiveness between us you know <laughs> from absolutely totally laid back just don't mind if you win or lose to me who is really driven by being competitive and I, I think I just always was I really remember being competitive at school and I think the the difference being, I remember being about 11 or 12 and being really prepared to, to hurt in cross country. And, and and having that, you know, I've, I've seen videos of myself crossing the line after a 1500 meter race and I'm this tiny little tot and I am grimacing because I want to hurt myself. I love feeling what my body can do and experiencing that. And I, I, I've always had that and um, my parents, what they did, I think, amazingly well was never push and always help facilitate. And I was always the one asking, could I do this? I'd love to try that. And my parents, if and when they could, would would try and help make things happen. But um, I definitely look at that style of parenting for myself now as a parent and think, you know, I don't I don't have huge dreams and aspirations for my children because I want them to dream their own dreams and just be there to support whatever they whatever they want to do. Uh, you're right though because if your parents had said right Helen go out and do some training and run you probably would have gone no actually thanks very much I'm not doing that um you've got to want to do it yourself but teachers as well because I know you you got a, a sports scholarship when you were older as well did you have some teachers that were really really defined your 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 sporting prowess too yeah definitely my first um my secondary school PE teacher um Kate Finch she was just one of these PE teachers who kind of she really believed in me and she whatever sport it was that I wanted to try you know they were there facilitating and it was you know I went to my local secondary school and everyone you know everyone went there and um it wasn't particularly well known for its sport but I just I enjoyed not only the challenge of doing the different sports but it was where I formed my friendships the girls that I'm still friends with I was on the netball team and the hockey team with and I'm a big advocate for sport not even though I've kind of represented sport at a high level, I think fundamentally the most important thing is those those grassroots level sport fundamentals of, of um, confidence and friendship and all these things that I really learned early on. Because it wasn't mm. actually till much later in life that I that I took sport to the next level. So I've just always been a, a lover of it for that. I think you're right though, because there's, there is research, isn't there, that girls stop doing sport when they get sort of teenagers. And my girls do football and they love, they love the football, but they also love the camaraderie and a bit of social, you know, it's, it, it, and there's a lot that they can learn as well by, by playing together. Um, but you've also got to have the natural ability that you obviously have, but you've got to have that ability to listen and take on board advice haven't you um because you can be brilliant but if you don't do as you're told or, or, or what your coach is telling you it can all go wrong yeah I think being coachable is something really underestimated actually and you can have a lot of natural talent but without that that interest and being I think I would say be be inquisitive be inquisitive and interested is something that I think is probably the most important thing because just finding new ways to do things finding out about your body finding out and you know what if, if I think the thing that I've come to realize more and more is that if somebody isn't interested just may not be their thing and that's and that's also fine but I think when 
well, especially when a child is interested, I find that really exciting because I think, oh, where could this go? Where, what could you learn? And I think no matter what the physical talent, that inquisitive nature can lead them anywhere. What was it though about rowing that you really love? Because you you know have done so much sport, hockey, swimming, cross country. I know you you like the pain. <laughs> so yeah, rowing... I know I'm a bit weird, aren't I? <laughs> rowing gives I'm you like a... how much can I hurt? <laughs> and rowing gives you that. But what 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 was it that uh, that you got in a boat and you thought, hmm, I like this? If I'm honest, it's the exact opposite. Um, I started rowing to go to the Olympics, and I didn't care if I loved it. And I actually didn't love it for a long time. <laughs> so yeah, I was I was 21 and when I first got into a boat and it was four years before London. And I thought my kind of days of competitive sport were over. I was starting, um, I'd done a sports science degree and I was gonna become a PE teacher. And I had, you know, when I was younger, I'd had daydreams of being an Olympian, but not nothing realistic, nothing that felt, you know, I was, a, I was a girl from a small town in Cornwall. People like me didn't do those things. They didn't go and do those big things. I hadn't even met an Olympian. So I had imagined and daydreamed about how cool it would be, but it was never part of my reality. And then when I was 21 and London had been given the games, there was a big drive to get talent into different sports. And I applied online to a talent drive called Sporting Giants. Um, and I believed that I met the height criteria and I turned up on the day to be tested and I was about an inch, maybe two inches short of the height criteria. And I remember looking around the room and thinking I'm the shortest in the room by a long way. And every single test I'm just going to have to go harder on. And I pushed myself in every test that I could. And standing at the side of the room with a clipboard was my first coach, Paul Stannard. And he saw me and he saw uh, sort of something in me that he wanted to coach. And I got asked to start rowing. And um, I started to, to try to get to, to the Olympics. They said, you know, you've got four years to do it. We probably won't be successful, but, you know, this is, this is your chance. I think it's probably the first time, it definitely was the first time in my whole life that I had kind of had a, a goal where I was so focused. I'd never, I'd never been so determined because it felt like my absolute, I'd been gifted a last chance. And so I just grabbed it with both hands gifted it but not quite tall enough I mean surely they saw you because is it true you stood on your tiptoes because surely they would have seen that yeah I stood on my tiptoes and I admitted it in the press conference when we won Olympic gold in London 2012 right I admitted it afterwards in the press conference <laughs> um I mean yeah I stood on my tiptoes tried tried to get up to that height criteria I still think I was I was short on on the height criteria I'm five foot nine and the, the criteria was five foot 11. Wow. Most of the girls were over six foot. Um, so in rowing, long levers can be helpful, just a longer stroke length and things like that. But I actually think, even at the time, I'm thinking, well, if I'm a bit shorter, I'll just have to be better with my technique. I'll have to be stronger and, and find, find ways around it. And that's, so that's what I did. What's really interesting then is that you really didn't like rowing when you started, but you had this goal in sight and thought, you know, even if it means that I have to do some weird sport that no one's ever heard of, whatever it is, but actually it turned out to be rowing, which we've all heard of, I'm going to do it. And, and it was your mum that got you into doing that, the, the, the sporting giant scheme. And I wonder why she she did that, because it was quite quite a risk. You, you had to give everything up, didn't you? Because you were going to be a teacher. So she saw the potential in, and you were quite brave to do it too. I mean, yeah, my mum has always been the the, the most supportive both my parents have always been super supportive and my mum called me up and she said look I've seen this 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 thing in the telegraph there was an advert called sporting giants I think you should you know have you thought about signing up and I 
And I remember applying online and thinking it will come, it will come to nothing. And then when I got the phone call a few weeks later, it, 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 it's really strange where I look back now and think about how close I was to saying no. I was just about to start a new career, I start paying off university debts. You know, I was at the time in my life when really I should have got a real job, you know. And um, I, I was when the phone rang to say, are you going to accept this this slot or not? I, I didn't know if I was going to say yes or no. And I guess I kind of had a middle ground where I moved my teaching to Bath. I started training there. And so I kind of, I, I carried on teaching at the same time as rowing. And, and that was definitely the hardest point in my whole career. Cause I was just trying to juggle two impossible things to be a full-time you know, teacher and athlete. And actually it was the best thing for me because every time I look back for the rest of my career, I thought it's, it is not as hard as it was in those first two years. Or even rowing when you've got twins as well, because we'll, 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 we'll come to that because that's another <laughs> juggle, isn't it? That's a different juggle. But that was harder, would you say, juggling the, the lack of money and the trying to teach starting out. That was the hardest part. Yeah, I mean, I was I look back at now and I just think, how did I do it? Because I was <laughs> I was running to training at about five in the morning because I couldn't often I had a car and I often couldn't run it because of fuel and things like that. So yeah. I, I would run into training, train in the morning run up to school, work a school day, run back down to the rowing club and train into the evening, get home, do the the marking and the work that I needed to do for that school day and then go to bed and do the same thing again. And I mean, it was, I look back now and I, and I do genuinely think, uh, how did I get through it? Um, but you had a goal, but I suppose. You had London looming, didn't you? Yeah, and I I def I work best with the goal. If I've got if I've got something in my sights, I, I can get tunnel vision. I'm super focused, and yeah, for me, I was just yeah putting one foot in front of the other, I guess. And then yeah. I had a sort of my first break with that came when I think it was there was a trial in the Easter of um, 2010, where they said you know this is the final trial to get onto the British rowing team, and I'd made it that I'd made it that far, and I spoke to my parents, and they said okay we we can kind of help you out with a couple of months rent if you think leaving work now will help you and sort of that was a big gamble for them and it's something I'll always appreciate yeah is that they helped me out for a couple of months I trained and I was a different person you know I could I could sleep I could you know recharge recover and I went to those trials and it was enough for myself and Heather to scrape on as the bottom boat to scrape onto the British rowing team and that was a a real kind of a turning point I guess yeah yeah sure and, and can you take us through like the night before a race because I've I've always wondered you know if if I'm ever doing anything like the night before you sort of you're thinking about what you're eating but this is completely different you know you're thinking about what you're eating what you're sleeping what you're doing so the night before say an Olympic final do you are you one of these people that just sleeps and you're fine and you and you just think right I'm going to worry about it in the morning or do you really stress um a bit of both we we have a fairly set routine. I think keeping ourselves not busy, but keeping ourselves knowing what's coming next every few hours is really important because otherwise your mind starts to wander. So for example, before our Olympic finals or before a big world championship final or something, we'd know that at five o'clock we'd have dinner at six o'clock we'd meet our coach and, and at six o'clock in the evening, the night before, we'd meet our coach, talk through the race, talk through anything we needed to. And it was almost like that was the full stop on the day. Beyond that point, nothing else needed to be said our minds didn't need to continue thinking about it and it was really nice having that almost that that, that closure on the day where we know we're going to wake up ready so I think having that meeting last thing in the evening was really important um, and then I do remember the night of, <laughs> of London 
lying in bed and I mean you don't really sleep but you try to let your body rest mm, mm. and I remember lying there and I, I just knew Heather was awake in the room bes- beside me she knew I was awake we weren't going to say anything but we could just hear the other one breathing and thinking I'm, a, I'm about to race the biggest race of my life in the morning but you don't say anything because you don't want to stress the other one out <laughs> yeah yeah and ju- just in case you got it wrong and they are actually asleep because that exactly. would not be good would it <laughs> <laughs> and and you know so many awards and achievements since 2012 and you know we could talk about all of those races because I'd love to but obviously (laughs) we haven't got a six-hour podcast um but you know more recently really fascinated about the the recent races and coming back for Tokyo but meeting Steve if anyone doesn't know married Steve Backshaw um but you that must have been a big moment in your life because you do drive each other I feel you you sort of uh you you push each other to limits would you agree yeah definitely I think we're both understanding and supportive of each other's careers and what it takes to 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 do those careers I guess and yeah it's, it was um it was just, it was really nice to be able to kind of have somebody who who gets it and supports it and even though we have different careers it's similar lifestyles you need to be fit it takes you you're traveling a lot you're out you're out of the country um so yeah I think that they're, they're lifestyles which kind of are similar enough to understand each other and when you said to him, right, I'm going to do Tokyo, <laughs> or maybe he'd got, he'd probably got a sense as you were doing a bit of training during lockdown. Um, <laughs> did, yeah, it was your idea, I assume, or, or, or he, did he, what, what was his thoughts? It was definitely my idea, but I think like you say, you get the sense from someone, um, <laughs> but it was, it was also absolutely, absolutely bonkers as well. Like I had, I'd walked away from Rio got married to Steve three weeks after the, after Rio, had Logan in 2018, had the twins in 2020. I had not been a rower. I had not called myself a rower for four years. I've not really been in a boat. I had done lots of other things. I'd really enjoyed being a different type of, like the freedom that you get from not having to sit on a rowing machine all day is that you can climb, you can swim, you can ski, you can, you can do all the things that you were contractually obliged to not do for 10 years. So I sort of spent the last four years being anything but a rower. And then, you know, had the twins in the January of 2020, fully prepared to be sat on the sofa watching the Tokyo games that summer with, with my little babies. And then when we went into lockdown, I started to get back on the rowing machine. Just, it's my headspace. It's what I've always, since I was tiny, I've just done exercise every day. And then I'm the best version of myself. Yeah. I definitely found I'm the best mum I can be when I've done that bit of me time in the morning and I'm, I've got more energy for the rest of the day. And so I just started doing that. And then being in lockdown and having Steve around, I just did a bit more training than I would have done. And it was probably about six weeks in where I started to just, every time I got onto the row machine, I started to think, oh, I wonder if I could get back onto the team. And then as soon as I was off the machine, I just didn't think about it all for the rest of the day. It just seemed like this like little fantasy that kept me interested when I was on the rowing machine. And then actually that, that, that thought kept popping into my head. And then when I said it to Steve, I said, you know, I wonder if I could make it to Tokyo. He was just all on board. And I think it was, we, we approached it in a really fun way because we just thought, you know what? The family's involved this time. We're doing it literally from our living room, getting onto a plane from Tokyo from our living room. And after four years out of the sport, how else am I going to use my lockdown time? You well, know? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a laugh, isn't it? You know, gets you out of the, of the homeschooling. <laughs> kind of breaks the monotony as well because you've got a challenge um, of lockdown and you, you've got that challenge. And 
I guess as well, though, going to Tokyo, it's a very different. You were talking about when you, you rode in 2012 and it's you and uh, and Heather and you're, you're probably just sort of in your own bubble. But you're now your mind is sort of focused on who you've left behind and the kids. And it's a different driving force, though, isn't it? Because I guess you're doing it for yourself, but you're doing it for them, too. And you're missing them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I the benefit of it of it being um, the year that it was although it wasn't great for the whole team and as Team GB as a whole with traveling and training, it worked for me as a mum because we we weren't allowed to travel abroad very much. I did a lot of training from home. So it, it was a, such a unique set of circumstances yeah. and I wouldn't have done it otherwise. There's no, there's no physical way I would have gone to Tokyo if it wasn't for being in lockdown because I would have said, I don't want to be traveling and into training every day. I don't want to be spending weeks away from my, from my kids. Um, and that's the way it was always done and it was never going to change and we were forced into this changed situation so for me it worked really well and the only significant time I had away was the weeks of, of being out in Tokyo but yeah I started it very much thinking of my kids and thinking about what a role would like it be for them but then it very quickly grew much more than that and I think around Christmas time six months before the games I announced that I was going to try to make a comeback and the, the messages that I got were just from a really different demographic than I'd ever heard from before. They weren't rowers and they weren't sports enthusiasts. They were parents. And it was incredible. I've, I was blown away, actually. And, and really, I got really emotional about it because I just thought I was being lifted up and supported by this whole group of people that I've only really just become part of. You know, I was in my first year and a half of being a parent. And because of lockdown, I hadn't really been involved in that parenthood journey and met met many other parents yeah. and suddenly here people were wishing me luck and 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 saying I had inspired them to take up their their old hobby or oh, to wow. live their dreams that they had left behind and I had you know amazing messages from a, a mum who had um discovered she had cancer after having her kids and even though she had been just been given the all clear she hadn't you know got back into sport and this in in that moment she put her trainers on and went for, for a first run and it just it made it so much bigger than me being in my living room thinking could I go back again it it, it really meant something different and, and I think in that moment I decided I was going to do it you know even up until then I had thought oh shall I shan't I and then I thought no this is the journey's going to look so different and that's fine it's fine for it to look different it's fine for the result to be different because I'm doing it under different circumstances for different reasons and um I think I always I always thought I want to be proud of representing my kids but also representing this whole group of people who are now supporting me that's amazing and getting other a whole different load of people into rowing as well i remember watching it actually with the kids and going right so this is somebody like me who uh has got small children and uh the kids were like what are you talking about mum but you're right as a mum i'm like yeah i'll go and do couch to 5k now because if you know that's nothing really compared to what you did but um you're right really inspiring and and i think parents need a bit of me time and I think it makes us better parents if we can go out and get rid of a bit of angst and go for a run or, or do a bit of sport it, it's it, it's brilliant and uh you know what a result and and I'm, I'm interested because Steve Redgrave said you know if anyone sees me near a boat again they can shoot me um and you have been near a boat but a different you know you've been kayaking and stuff uh doing it again you're gonna go back I mean I th after Tokyo I thought I thought I would come back. I thought I'd come back and I'd start aiming for Paris. But then I came back after Tokyo and the whole world had really opened up again. And I yeah. realised that if I want to spend time with my kids, do the things that we haven't been able to do, I, 
I can't do that and give rowing the same amount of time. So I haven't officially retired, but I'm also not, I'm not officially training or you know aiming for anything rowing wise officially um, <laughs> not officially I mean I think I've, I've learned once never to say never but um it's not in the plan right now no. well you've got so much other stuff going on though because you've got this uh, this new book wildlings which is uh, how to raise your family in nature which looks brilliant you've got all these um you know really knowledgeable people like Sir Tim uh, commander sorry Tim Pig and uh, Sir Chris Hoy about um, you know, how to get the kids occupied and get them outside. Is this like a new career direction then? Are you thinking uh, writing as well as probably broadcasting because of, you know, the rowing? There's always always need for broadcasters in rowing and sport, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, it's something that I surprised myself actually with how much I loved it. I mean, I've always enjoyed the kind of the broadcasting and that sort of things. So I've never, ever turned my hand to thinking about writing a book. But it's something that I'm really passionate about. And I think lockdown brought home to so many people how important it is to get your children outside and how much they can learn and thrive in the outdoor environment. But I find myself getting sort of stale with ideas and the thought of putting on wellies again and getting out the door again is <laughs> no, well, it's also, really tiring. It is, it, but also the thought of staying inside and doing craft again is just a killer for me. So, <laughs> you know, getting out, getting out the front door is, is brilliant, but you're right, it's getting new ideas. Yeah, and I and I remember thinking, well, if if I'm someone who's outdoorsy and grew up grew up in the outdoors, if I'm finding it hard, then then everyone, there's so many parents that are in need for something. Just this manual, a handbook, a how-to, a guide you can just turn to and say, give me an idea for what I can do today. And so Steve and I started jotting it down and writing it down, and then we realised, you know what? We have a lot of our friends who are experts in all these different areas, and like you say, you know, why not have a little paragraph from Chris Hoy about learning to ride your first bike <laughs> or Tim Peake about stargazing or um you know and, and so so many of our friends have contributed uh, to this book and given their experiences and I really genuinely hope that it'll be something that will sit on a shelf and just be used time and time again for families to just go out and have wild adventures and learn and enjoy nature because it's something that our family loves to do and if if that if we could impart anything to other families I'd, I'd love to think that that was a little difference we could make well you're right because the night before the school holidays you know get the book out go right okay I'm not going to have a panic attack because I've got six weeks coming yeah. up and I can I can turn to page 15 and I can find something to do on a bike yeah you're right absolutely and and with the book and you know I'm thinking of all the the medals that you've you've had and the gold Peter the blue Peter gold badge and the gold post box and all that I wonder what for you has been your your biggest achievement because there's been a ridiculous amount haven't there I mean I know it's cheesy but my my, my children have to be I mean I just it's not I cheesy that I think that being a parent nothing really I think nothing really prepares you for it because I I just I didn't know how I was going to respond to being a mom but I've really loved it and I think that it, it does open your eyes up to what a difficult and challenging job it is and like you mentioned arts and crafts yeah. I you know I don't have the baking skills I don't have the arts and crafts skills one thing I know is is the outdoors and and like I say if, if that's something I can write about and, and be be part of other people's journeys with and that's that's great so yeah I think that that my kids are just you know they're they're something I'm so proud of and having twins as well because I'm in the same boat as you ha excuse the pun um because um I think for me because you know twins it's it's not I remember thinking, all right, I'm going to get through the pregnancy and then I'm going to get through the birth and then I'm going to get through the night feeds and it, I kind of stage a stage. And I do think having, having twins almost makes you feel quite uh, invincible. And so, 
you know, I, I guess that might be you, you're a driven person already, but I'm sure that's given you an extra strength when you're taking on new challenges, like going to Tokyo and, and doing new career twists and turns or whatever might come next. Do you agree? Yeah, I think so. I think there's this, this sort of, I, I think I fell into this mindset of, well, it's already hard. <laughs> let's just go with roll with the challenge like they Logan I think when the twins were born Logan was 17 months old and so I had 17 months old breastfeeding twins and I remember I would I would go on the rowing machine and every when they not with they them kept. on I was gonna say not, not breastfeeding them. Them. But, no. but what I would do is I would I would stop if they woke up I would stop if they needed a feed I would stop put them on feed then finish finish the session and then yeah. and then go and have time with them and I just think the the absolute relentlessness of it all stops you from stopping and thinking what am I doing yeah you know yeah. like yeah, yeah you don't get the you literally have no choice you're either yeah. feeding or you're yeah. training or you're playing with Logan and there was no there was no chance for me to stop and think about it and I think that came after lockdown for, for many people there I think in their own ways there was that relentlessness of lockdown where we go we're just in it we're doing it and we're coping um and then after we go wow that was um that was a really intense period for, for everybody for different reasons yes that was something else definitely and if anyone has got their eye on a rowing boat or you know wants to do sport at an elite level what advice would you give them I would say get down to your local rowing club they they often run learn to row courses especially through the summer is a great time to learn especially if you're going to be falling in and getting wet it's, it's a really fun fun time to learn so get down and do a learn to row course and you know if you're if you're involved if you've already started then I would say just um, make sure you find yourself either a coach or a mentor who is passionate you know Paul, the first coach who picked me up and started me rowing, and definitely Robin, who's the coach who took me to my two Olympic golds. They love the sport. They love being part of it. They love seeing me and my crewmates every day thriving. Um, so find yourself a coach or a mentor who, who loves the sport like you do. Yeah. So if we're to look back on your on your pivotal moments, on and you know, you've done so much, you've achieved so much. We've talked about your family and, and your teachers, and that, that was a big pivotal moment going on the scheme to get you into a boat, even though the height thing wasn't quite working for you. Um, what what have I missed? What in terms of moments? Um... Yeah. And and I, I think also more more recently, Steve and the kids have, have been, you know, real real pivots in in what you've done and, and how you've your career's maybe changed um but I wondered if there's anything else that I've I've missed or forgotten um I'm trying to think. I don't think so I mean yeah I think my, my life has definitely looks very different to that sort of sliding doors moment it would have done back in 2008 when I started rowing you know I went from from pre-2008 I was believing this happened to other people post-2008 I was much better at making it happen for myself um, and so and that's something I would love the, the kind of the kids to have the belief that they can do. It's just, and it doesn't matter, you know, it might not be sport. It could be something that I'm rubbish at, like music or art or whatever it is. Um, I just want them to believe that they, they can make, they can make whatever they want happen and it's not going to happen overnight, but it'll happen with the right people and the right support and, and the right work ethic. But, um, yeah, I, I, and I think, I think the thing that I've kind of definitely, just sit really happily with now is, is it doesn't really matter what what they do what I do what anybody does is I want them to be good people and be happy and and to contribute positively and I think that that's largely what I'm trying to do now with with things like like the book and 
anything any challenges that Steve and I and the family do is um, to make sure we're kind of just just contributing in, in a way that I'd want to. I think that's that's really really good good advice for your children and and it just good mindset as well and just do what you love as well I think that's really important and we're really looking forward to the book coming out really looking forward to looking at it the night before the school holidays so there's no panic too (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much too uh, for talking to me Helen and just you know best of luck with whatever you do next because I you know I'm sure we will see you on in a boat somewhere competitively I've just got this feeling (laughs) we'll see (laughs) we'll see oh thank you so much Thanks to Helen for talking to me. And if you love sport, we've got interviews with the sports broadcasters Andrew Cotter and Rob Walker, Paralympian Ade Adebitan, Chief Sports Writer of the Mail on Sunday, Oliver Holt, and Henry Moran from Test Match Special. Well, that's it for Season 5. Thanks so much for listening. And you can follow us on Twitter for updates at Where Go Right. Thanks to Megan Brownrigg for steering the Where Go Right ship so brilliantly again this season. And Laura Shipsey for the music. <laughs>